Jim, good to see you. How you doing? Good seeing you, Michael. It's been a been a well, actually, it hasn't been that long, but <laughs> good to good to see you again. Always ready to to hit hit, hit some more fun uh, Star Trek talk here. I'm cherished that a week apart from you makes it seem like an eternity to you. That's oh man, I, I tell you, this is this is one of the highlights. Uh, you know, doing the recordings with you is a highlight, and then honestly, watching the recordings when they when they're available when you finally put them available because i know you're so excited to make them available for, for people to watch and you finally get them up there on the on social media and stuff and then i get to watch them and it, it's great for me because like there's 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 pockets of my time during the day when i'm not busy working on my day job or i'm not working on this where i can like kind of sit back with a snack and watch sta tv and just like like listen to you and listen to the other folks on our show and either this show and just refresh my memory about what we were talking about and just how exciting this is. Um, Cause like, honestly, you know, it's a lot of work, but, but I, I just enjoy this part of it so much, just talking to you and then talking to the fans out there. Cause like these books are, are cool. And, uh, and I hope that they re resonate with people. And like now that, uh, you know, Modifius, uh, actually, by the time this thing hits social media, it'll be out for a while, but Modifius just recently opened up their own Discord server. And we've already got like 1,400 people on it after like a week. So like there's just, there's just this huge response of people, which is super cool. Um, and now even more fans are in like one location where we can talk to them. And it's just, it's great to see everything that's happening. So just, it's a good time to be uh, be involved here. No, and you know, I'm figuring if we're talking about it, we might as well record it. And then it's yeah. funny how many other people chime in and really help us enhance the game. For those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, um, this is Continuing Conversations, which is a podcast video cast about everything Star Trek Adventures. Um, my name is Michael Desmuke. I'm with Continuing Missions, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures. Um, and we also have Jim Johnson. Why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, Jim Johnson, I'm the project manager and lead editor for the Star Trek Adventures line by Modifius. Yeah. And so we're always talking about cool things. And um, I, I was talking to Jim earlier that, you know, I love the books. I, I, I know PDFs are cool, but I like hard copies. Mm -hmm. And the way I attack the books when I get them is I read through them. And then I look through just the art. But then there's something I did. And then I read it together with the art and look at all the little sidebars. But there's something I did recently after the player's guide and the game master's guide came out. And I said, did they design this into the other books? And what I did is I read all of the chapter quotes that begin in each <laughs> chapter, because uh -huh. each quote is tailored to the theme of the chapter. And I know we designed that into the player's guide and the game master's guide. And it was super fun looking through hundreds of thousands of words to find the right quote. But then I said, mm -hmm. wait, did they do this with the other books? And you did. And I didn't notice it till these yep. two books i mean what's your <laughs> that was awesome i i will i will tell you a little secret that is that is that is one of the one of the weird little pleasures i get out of this out of this gig is that uh you know because because i'm the line editor and the project manager i'm usually the last set of eyes on these things before they go to approvals and before they go to layout and uh and, and getting those chapter headings right like right in my head is, is one of those perverse little fun things that i like to do and so i spend a lot of time you know, I've got I've got the TV queued up nearby so I can watch episodes and, and like go through and find that piece of dialogue. 
Uh, there's a couple of really good transcription sites. I don't rely on the transcriptions. I always go to the source material to make sure I get it right. But uh, finding the right quote is is so much fun. And uh, um, sometimes, you know, the writers uh, are great because you usually provide your own um, or you at least provide suggestions. But sometimes they're too long or sometimes they don't quite fit or whatever. So I get to massage them a little bit. But uh, yeah. well, you got I, me I, into this whole obsession now. I'm <laughs> looking at that. And then also now when I'm watching shows, it's all Trekkies rewatch our shows many times. Now I'm like, ooh, that'd be a good one. And I'm starting yeah. to write them down. So. Yeah. Yep, yep. I've got my I've got my phone with me every time I'm watching an episode, and every, every time I hear a piece of dialogue, it's like, oh wait, I'm gonna go back and listen to that again, and then I'll write it down. It's like, oh, that's gonna be a great quote if I can find a place for it in a book somewhere. Well, that is a perfect segue to what we're talking about in today's yes. episode of Continuing Conversations because we are focusing all about those characters, what they say, but also what they do. We are in Chapter 5, uh, page 137 of the Player's Guide. I'm going to, just because we were talking about, read the opening quote from Captain Christopher Pike, which I think sums up the theme of character roles well. He, well, he said, sometimes we know the rule we're meant to play, Sometimes we don't. I'm not sure which is better, to be honest. But so I thought that was a great quote uh, from this chapter. And so go ahead and lay it out for us. High level, Jim, why the character rules chapter in the player's guide? Yeah, so this chapter, uh, Al Spader did the majority of the work on this chapter I, after after giving him some guidance. And he uh, he did a great job with this, I think. The, the idea is in the, uh, in the Starfleet Corps rule book and the Tricorder Digest, and then the Klingon core rule book, between those two books, we provide 12 different character roles that a player that a player character can be, whether it's the commanding officer, first officer, engineer, um, surgeon, medical officer, whatever, uh, you know, hitting the key archetypes that you see on all the TV series, right? And so this chapter is meant to be a deeper dive into those character roles, because like in the core books, it's really just a paragraph. It tells you what the role is, and it gives a, a role benefit, right? And so now we're actually going into a deep, deeper dive here. So if you are a new player, to Star Trek Adventures and even Star Trek, and you're like, well, what can I do? What do I want to do? You can think about like, what kind of a player are you? Just like, you know, in kind of the meta, uh, what kind of a player are you? What do you like to do? What What are your strengths? What do you, what, you know, what, what do you bring to a game in general? Like, are you a leader type? Are you a follower type? Are you a support type of character? Are you a tank? Are you the, are you the fix it, uh, you know, the one who gets into the techno babble and the science and stuff? Uh, so this is kind of a guide to like help you a think about what character roles would work for you, and then also just to give you more details on that particular role so that you can you know more effectively role play it. Yeah, and let's jump into. It. I mean, I think it's great. I know you know I play when I play or if I'm playing an NPC, mm -hmm. I found it really cool to read this and find a nuance because based on your role, it's going to change your personality and how you play the game. I think about how we're at work. You know, you go from being a frontline worker and then all of a sudden you're managing two people and then you're managing a hundred people. There's some changes in that dynamics. And I thought this was a perfectly laid out chapter to kind of talk about that. Sometimes um, we've spoken about it before when you're a commanding officer, which we're going to start talking about page 140 is that, you know, how do you find that balance between giving orders, but not micromanaging your players? Mm -hmm. And it taught, it really broke it down in this chapter about how to unite the crew. You know, you're a team leader, you're a chief collaborator in that sense. And I also like the piece about keeping a log. What's the history of logs in Star Trek, Jim? For someone who's just picking up this player's guide, maybe never watched a Star Trek before, give us a brief on what the captain's log is all about. Well, I mean, the vast, the vast majority of uh, Star Trek episodes open up with a captain's log. That's what they did, especially in the original series. And, and that was really kind of designed to help set the stage, right? So in a role-playing context, 
you know, the game master can use a captain's log or or a personal log or whatever to kind of like help set up the inciting incident. Like how how does the episode open up? There's some either there's something happening or there's some sort of situation or whatever. You can hand that log to your character and say, okay, tweak the language to make it fit your character, and then you know you know speak speak it out in your character voice, and then that kind of like starts the episode. Um, nine times out of ten, it's usually. Uh, the character talking about some horrible thing that's happening and then immediately you're into the drama it's like in media res right you're immediately yes. into the drama and the adventure and the excitement um sometimes though sometimes it's a, it's a character piece right sometimes it's a it's a it's just a little subtle thing about a character or their backstory um or maybe it's even a subplot that's going to sneak its way into the episode that uh you know you can you can start dropping in those little uh those little subplots and stuff that they're always so great for rpgs I highly suggest if you're new to it and not too too familiar with the Star Trek genre, go to Memory Alpha, type in Captain's Log, and they actually have pages of pages of Captain Logs, pool, mm-hmm. Captain's Logs pooled from the episodes, and you get a flavor. They're all across the gamut of flavor from, we've just finished the tournament of tennis on Zartan 3, and I'm happy <laughs> to see my mother coming on board. I mean, that's just an example. And that right, sets right. the scene like, and act. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot there. Um, I Like you said, I use them to set the, the scene for my actors or my players as mm-hmm. they're going in. Um, and then we also talk about uh, Ready Room. I want to highlight it again. We're not going to go into a lot of detail, but I have to say the Ready Room, this chapter Al wrote, complemented the Game Master's Guide, which talked about to be a collaborative game, giving everybody a chance to speak with ideas mm-hmm. um, before just commanding through the decision. And that's, again, another trope, a common trope in Star Trek is let's hear what everyone has to say. You kind of go around the bridge, hands mm-hmm. it back to the captain, and then he makes a decision. So I thought, again, for this chapter, there's some real good tips on how to role play this efficient, this uh, one role, commanding mm-hmm. officer. Anything else about it that you'd like to highlight? Uh, yeah, so this will help give you some advice and insights into being a commanding officer, whether you're, you you want to play a captain or a, or a first officer. I think this uh, this first chapter here about commanding officer really helps make the argument that your commanding officer should be a player character, because I think there is such great potential things to do as a player if you are the commanding officer you get to lead i mean yeah you get to lead people and you get to make decisions but there's just a lot of cool stuff to do if you are a supportive leader as opposed to like being a commanding leader right there's just there's so much role-playing opportunity to be a commanding officer so i encourage you to try it at least once don't don't let the captain be wasted on a on a supporting character or an npc because it's just so much potential there to play with yeah, I'm going to actually do a share screen. I know people who are listening to the podcast, audio podcast, aren't going to be able to see it, so we'll describe okay. it. But I want to screen share a facet of each one of these role designs. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one here um, is showing, again, we started there, you know, with the commanding officer and some of the tips on how to play it. But what I really like and I want to highlight are these two boxes that are in every single role. Quick yeah. build. So it talks to you how to um, tailor your character Um, If you're going to play a commanding officer, some likely ways that it affects your attributes. And then it also talks about some talents that you could pick up that would make sense for a character like that. For those of you who were um, watching a couple of weeks ago when we filmed our session zero, you saw this a little bit in action. We tried to exemplify it. So you you can go back and watch episode nine of Continuing Conversations. I love the choose this role if, because we all have different personalities and tendencies. And Al did a really good job laying out, hey, you know, if you're this kind of person, you may want to play this role. And I thought these two boxes, Jim, were just really, really awesome. And again, they're synonymous uh, through, through each, or it's the same thing through each one of the roles. 
yeah. And I'll just add that you know, uh, for gamers that are familiar with other RPGs out there, uh, the the quick build box that we included in here that that is very specifically not how to min max this character. Uh, in Star Trek Adventures, there's really no way to min max your characters. I mean, it's such a it's a different type of rule set compared to other games out there so don't look at this as like oh this is going to be the ultimate you know op commanding officer kind of thing it's like this is just suggestions to get you started and uh, like if you just need to make a character quick and you're on your way you know follow the suggestions certainly but once you get familiar with the game then you can be, start getting more flexible and get more creative uh, so this is just giving you a starting point i think and yes i agree with you that al did a great job on these yeah, good point. Let's move on then to the executive officer. Now, this helps me. This gonna, I had to research this when I started getting into Star Trek. What's the difference between the commanding officer and the executive officer? Uh, well, so the commanding officer is the is the big cheese, right? They're in charge of the ship. They're responsible for executing, in this case, executing Starfleet's mission, right? The Starfleet gives the the ship and the commanding officer a, a job or a thing to do, and it's it's the commanding officer's responsibility to make sure that they go do it. Uh, it is the first officer's job to make sure that the crew in the ship is capable of following the commanding officer's commands. Uh, in addition, the 99 times out of 100, the executive officer is also a commanding officer in training. So the, the expectation is that eventually that executive officer is going to get a command of their own. And you just continue that cycle of promotion and, and uh, getting you know, new officers out there into the, into the world. Because you know, Starfleet's always building new ships and new ships always need captains. I have to say, too, out of all the Star Trek series, I think that William Riker makes yeah. the definitive case for what an executive officer was doing. I remember I used to be a kid watching that show, and I'd be like, Dad, like, why is he giving orders? Well, <laughs> you know, uh, Patrick Stewart's character stepped back, uh, Captain Picard, because he knew that Will Riker, who, you know, passed up several pr promotions in Starfleet, according mm -hmm. to the genre, um, he could he was totally capable of commanding a starship and mm -hmm. the, this allowed the captain to kind of pull back and let the executive officer i mean talk orders i mean talking about shields up mm -hmm. fire weapons scan the planet i like the executive officer in this game because you you like you said it's an officer in training and the captain can trust them to make command decisions even if yep. they're sitting on the bridge themselves yeah right and i thought it was really nice um, I'll have actually a subheading in here called the bridge is yours. So, mm -hmm. so if you still say, if you have two people who want to be captain Rochambeau for it and make one the executive <laughs> officer, right? Yeah, absolutely. For sure. For sure. Uh, the one thing I wanted to note in addition to all that great stuff is, is the executive officer is really, really fun. And, and, and you know, this is going to be kind of the challenge. This is the challenge I had for Al. I was like, Al, I want you to write the, all these character role chapters but I want you to make sure that everyone that's written is like, this is the best role to play because of this. This is the best role to play. So like, they're all great roles, right? Uh, but the, the neat thing about executive officer, and I've, I've been an executive officer before in various, you know, Star Trek games, um, is, the, is, the, is the incredible amount of role-playing potential that is built into the character by virtue of the fact that as the executive officer, you are responsible for all the crew evaluations on the ship, right? Yes. So it's not the captain. The captain's not in charge of the crew necessarily. He commands the ship, it's, it, you know, or he or she, excuse me. Um, so the executive officer, though, gets to, gets to do all the crew evaluations, which is just role play scene potential ad infinitum, right? This is the, this is the way you can introduce supporting characters, NPCs. You can have interactions with all the other bridge crew and all, all the other senior staff because the executive officer Plus the you know the department heads will be the ones doing the crew evaluations, and I have you know I've taken advantage of that as a game master to do 
no shortage of scenes to just drop into an episode is uh, and, and even to start some subplots and to start some little B stories and C stories. Uh, it, there's just so much great potential there that I hope you don't waste it or don't uh, miss to, it. To your point on our ship, our second officer, the other crew members who are dying to get promotions really try to goal for promotion. I mean, they, they, approach her mm -hmm. and they like, Hey, so-and-so on my department needs a promotion and she's not one to give out promotions. And so I purposely did that so that I don't want to say they're kissing up to her, but <laughs> it becomes a subject of people like, I really want to be a Lieutenant commander. I want to promote this person. Mm -hmm. And it's been a fun scene, some HR scenes as yeah. you would say. And so the executive officer has a lot of power there. Now the executive officer is also called the first officer mm -hmm. with that said, let's segue to the third section in chapter five, second officer and third officer. So the first officer we know is the executive officer, the captain's yep. right-hand person. What's the second officer and third officer all about? Yeah, so um, the, the, because this book, because, because both the player's guide and the game master guide were written specifically to complement either the Starfleet core rule book or the Klingon core rule book, right? They're, they're applicable in both. The, the roles in those two core books are slightly different just by virtue of the difference between the Klingon Defense Force and Starfleet. Um, so in the Klingon core book, the second officer and third officer is a role that you can pick, whereas they're not really in the Starfleet book, but there's no reason you couldn't because uh, Star Starfleet ships certainly have a second officer. Uh, they might have a third officer, but it's not really called third officer. It's just it's up to the captain to make up their command hierarchy and decide you know who's going to be in charge when you know the captain's not around or the first officer is not around. Uh, so in this case, you know, second officer is like okay, so you know if something happens to the captain, something happens to the first officer, you're next. You're the second officer or the third officer or whatever, and you have different responsibilities. But you know, again, like in Starfleet, the expectation is if if you've been assigned. Or if you you know if you're the second officer or third officer, the expectation is you are going to be a first officer eventually, and then you are going to be a commanding officer eventually. Now, of course, in the Klingons, right, they have a slightly different way of managing promotions. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it's the ultimate in Belletti's succession plan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I want to remark. I want to rewind a little bit too, because I have to say there's one other big benefit to being the executive officer or first officer. According to Starfleet regulations, you are supposed to be the one leading away missions, and the captain's supposed to stay on the ship for his safety. So that becomes an yeah. interesting dynamic in playing too. Depending on which area you're playing in, yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a it's a great dynamic. Oh, it always tends to create interesting little little scenes, especially early on in a campaign when the captain player and the first officer player are kind of like you know, feeling each other out, trying to get a sense of where the command, you know, how, how's the whole dynamic going to work? And I, I've seen some really good scenes, you know, built around that, uh, that, that aspect. I played an introverted captain um, in one of the games and she actually prefers to stay on board the ship drinking wine. <laughs> so she's always more than happy. Just and it kind of uh -huh. like, well, you really don't want to go. No, I've done my bit for King Country. I I, I got this position because I went on enough away missions. <laughs> so she's very comfortable chilling. Nice. Listen nice. to this jazz music. Um, okay, cool. So now let's move on to the operations officer. I think it's helpful while we're talking about this, maybe to call some of them out, Jim. So when I think of an operations officer, of course, Miles O'Brien is the number one. I mean, he's the jack of all trade of Star Trek, of course. So he, he was operations officer on DS9. I think about one of my favorite characters in Star Trek is Garrett Wang uh, playing uh, Harry Kim in the ever immortal Ensign Harry Kim. 
um, those are operations officers. So how would you describe it if someone says, what does an operations officer do for a job? Yeah, I mean, it, it could it could potentially sound boring, like the ops manager, you're you're like the 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 head logistics person on the ship. You are in charge of making sure that all the different teams have the stuff they need. Like if a, if a science team needs a sensor pallet or if a, if a, if a engineering team needs resources or, or just whatever, right? You are, you are managing that whole logistical challenge of making sure everybody on the ship has everything they need. And if a conflict arises, you're able to allocate, you know, resources or, or you know, defuse the the situation and make it work. So, uh, yeah. Data was the operations officer on uh, on Next Gen, uh, in addition to probably being the science officer, just because he was Data. Yeah. Um, so it it's theoretically, you know, it's a lot of it's a lot of paper pushing <laughs> in a way. Like you're just you're just managing resources. You're a project man. You're the the Uber project manager on the ship. And, and what this means, though, from a role playing perspective, is that you have an opportunity to interact with like all the department heads and a lot of NPCs. So you can do a lot of dynamic stuff. Uh, you could be an engineer. You could be a scientist. In addition to the stuff that you're doing as ops manager, um, so it gives you an opportunity to do a lot of stuff. You can stay on the ship, or you can go on an away team. You know, there's, yeah. there's a lot of flexibility there. Yeah, I think the, the way I've seen the operations manager played in the different Star Trek genres too is this person knows the ship. Mm -hmm. They know the ship like the back of their hand, and they really are good backup, if not replacement, for the engineer also. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what you see happen on the Star Trek. I love operations manager. At my, at my job, you know, I do uh, project management and time management training. And yeah. so I, when I look through these, I'm like, yeah, I'd probably end up an operations manager if I, would, <laughs> if I was on a starship. It seems like that's what I do. Yeah, like I, I don't remember if I'll put it in here. I don't see it specifically called out, but like if you are, if you're the type of person who really likes creating efficiencies, this is this is the role for you, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's really cool. Yeah, power allocation, all those mm -hmm. things that are necessary on a ship and really recommending to the captain and the executive best use of power and resources, shuttles, all that kind of stuff. A lot of stuff our operations manager does on my, in my game. <clears throat> yep. All right, then of course, the ever popular chief engineer role. What's the first name that pops in your mind, Jim, when I say chief engineer? Uh, Montgomery Scott, number one, you can't, I mean, you can't, you can't, I mean, there, there's some great engineers out there, but I think Scotty's the, Scotty's the, the, the pinnacle. Yeah, he takes the cake. And yeah. so, um, man, I mean, trying to encapsulate what the job of a chief engineer is in the 22nd, 23rd, 24th century is hard. So how would you uh, say, what do you say, think of the highlights in this chapter for the person wanting to play the chief engineer? I mean, the, the key the is that yeah. the chief engineering officer is responsible for the for the for the the upkeep of the ship, so where the executive officer might be responsible for the, making sure that the personnel are ready to roll, like the engineers, like a, if the ship ain't working, it's their fault, right? Uh, everything's everything everything comes to them, so it's a and it's everything too. It's like it's all the weapon, it's all the gear, it's all the shuttles, it's all the escape pods, it's the ship, it's it, like everything technical related ultimately goes through the chief engineer and yeah. their team. Uh, so it's a lot of responsibility because you got to have that ship ready to go when the captain says we need warp power yesterday. Yeah, you need these it. People, I mean, these people are masters at kit bashing, jury yeah. rigging, retrofitting, reverse engineering. And so if you're a geek who who loves the techno babble of Star Trek, mm -hmm. this is definitely one you want to jump into a role. Yeah. And again, you have the the best uh, uh, descriptions here of how to do it. One of the things I liked was the cross training uh, aspect that Al puts in mm -hmm. here is that, you know, an engineer in the future isn't just with wrenches and hammer. This person has to know quantum theory and warp sciences. So yeah. it still gives you that chance to dive into sciences. And mm -hmm. what I like 
one of the biggest things I like about Star Trek is when they do what's called biomimetics and they mm -hmm. look at nature and how nature figures stuff out. And then they reverse engineer that into a scientific mechanical, electromechanical solution. So if you're big mm -hmm. into nature, I actually encourage people who are into that to go for chief engineer too, because it's like, okay, can you reverse engineer biomimet use biomimetics to uh, improve your ship? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Stamets is a great example of that, right? I mean, Stamets is a scientist, but he's also an engineer. Uh, so it's like it's like that beautiful blend. And uh, I don't know what your experience is like, Michael, but like in, I don't know, almost every single Star Trek game I've run or played in, the engineer and the science officer were the two most frequently involved in like yeah. almost every plot, right? Because yeah. like there's always in Star Trek, there's always some new scientific thing to figure out or some new gizmo that is or artifact that's discovered that you have to figure out how take it apart and fix it or how does it work and all that stuff and so your engineer and your and your science officer are probably going to be two of the most busy characters on the show more often than not hey it's a science fiction game so what do yeah. you expect it's going to be their way right exactly. that's the genre all right but for those of you who aren't into the techno babble and just like to punch people we have the chief <laughs> of security or weapons officer so uh, what were your highlights from this chapter yeah so this is your this is your your, your wharf your tasha yar your malcolm uh, these are the ones that are they, their job is to be the protectors, right? They're there to keep the rest of the crew safe uh, and out of harm's way. So whether they're on the ship using the pew pew and the shields, or they're uh, they're on the planet with the phasers and the defensive maneuvers and whatever, uh, there you know your primary job is it's not so much law enforcement; it's it's keeping your people safe. Um, yeah. I want to highlight for those of you who still end up as a chief of security officer, um, but don't want the pew pew. There's a lot of opportunities. For instance, on our vessel, we have people who are specialists in security and encryption. So mm -hmm. they're protecting the crew and the ship from computer threats. And they have some fantastic stories around that. There's even people who are more psychologists, but they're in chief of security um, mm -hmm. because they're there for the psychological warfare that's going on. That could be a chief of security who's maybe involved in interrogating and stuff. And then mm -hmm. there's also a lot of other security that's not pew pew like force fields or running yep. a brig on a starship. And we have characters like that that step forward that are just, again, it's all about keeping the, their force field specialists. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot still variety with chief of security. It doesn't have to be all rock'em sock'em. <laughs> yeah, very true, very true. Cool. All right, let's move on to what's probably the second or third most famous job in Star Trek made, made so by Hank McCoy, the chief medical officer. People may thought it was a boring job, but I think the original series shows it is not. So what, what do you like most about this chapter? Hank McCoy. <laughs> I'm, I'm lost on Hank McCoy. Henry McCoy. Oh, you Henry know McCoy? I just went X-Men on you. I'm so sorry. Oh, okay. You're talking about totally, Leonard H. McCoy. Sorry, I went, totally, I, went, I went totally Star Trek on that. I mean, Marvel Comics on that one. And you know, I've actually, it's okay for me to do that because they had a crossover comic where they even looked at each other and had that quizzical moment. Oh, nice. It's, it's okay, I did that. Sorry. Yes, anyway, yeah, Michael, you're absolutely right. Uh, chief Medical Officer, great great role for, for, for a player to take on because, you know, just like the Chief Engineer and the Chief Scientist, there's always something out there in space trying to kill you or hurt you or change your genes into something weird or some sort of anomaly or not anomaly, but some sort of weird biological disease of some sort. So the CMO is there. So if the chief security is keeping you safe, the CMO is there to keep you alive. Uh, so uh, whether it's a toothache, you know, something mundane like a toothache or a, 
or shoulder knocked out of the socket, like uh, O'Brien is is a is a you know uh, happens to them all the time. Uh, the CMO is the one who uh, you know keeps you keeps you alive. And uh, the the one interesting aspect of the chief medical officer that I love, and I I, I just haven't had the opportunity to see it much in the game because I haven't haven't really had that many uh, CMOs who are really good at what they were doing. Is that the chief medical officer is the only person on the ship who can declare the captain unfit for command. And that creates all kinds of cool opportunities for stuff to happen, which is why I really encourage people to play the commanding officer as a player character, because you've got this opportunity to do more stuff with it. Not, not only that, which has happened, you know, we're 49, as of recording this, we're 49 games of, we're in on 49 games of Star Trek Adventures, my group. So we've had a lot of things. And so that's happened a lot where the CMO is checking out the captain and checking out their, their emotional stability during certain situations. Another thing I see a lot on Facebook and discord, the question comes up like, Oh, I'm having trouble engaging the chief medical officer. You know, we can't use them all the time. And I, I don't understand that because on ours, if they're on going on an away mission, you don't know what you're going to meet on the planet. You want a medic there for every away mission. In addition, a lot of the medical officers may have psychology or biology in the background, which means they can go explore and survey a new planet, new conditions. Um, When things explode on the ship, they're the first one on site to be in the middle of the action. While all the action's happening, they're still in the room. So I know our chief medical officer is never bored. Um, And then with biology and uh, psychiatry, and they even have psionics, they always have something to do. So I I find this character equal to a scientist or engineer. um, If you really think about how often you want a medic by your side (laughs) in space, right? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Okay, cool. I think this would probably be, you know, everyone's, again, top three type of characters to choose. Science officer, who do you think of right away, Jim? Uh, it's hard to think of anybody except Spock right off the bat. Like, I think I think Spock personifies science officer better than, I mean, really anyone else. I think I think Discovery's got some some characters who are really good at science. Like you, you got Burnham and Tilly and uh, um, Stamets, who are all super super sciencey, which is great because that's, that's what you need in, in the science fiction shows, right? Is smart scientists. But I think Spock Spock really set the set the the bar right and uh, everyone else is like looking to that because he was just he was all over the place with science and uh, yeah so you are the you know science officer you are the primary problem solver on the on the ship i think more than anybody else like you especially if you're multi-talented with a little bit of engineering a little bit of medical you're going to be involved in literally every plot probably and we know there's as many science many avenues of science as there are stars in the heavens mm-hmm. um and so a scientist like can look i, I think spock was more the analytical person he yeah. came out as the more anal- analytical scientist um but then we know that there's specialists in every field i think about uh, uh dax on deep space nine she had a wealth of knowledge that she applied from all her lifetimes mm-hmm. and then we see on voyager the blessing of seven and nine when she came on and she was <laughs> she was just um she had the whole board collective science manual at her behest and yeah. and so these are great characters to play and even if you only like fish or if you only like the science of making wine you could do that you could just focus in on the science and have your work with your game master to create games where you get a chance to show off your skills yeah Um, for sure so so really love it there was also an addendum here about the scientific method on page 159 that's we know that that was a controversial subject 
um, in the core rule book, some people were, were wondering how to quite utilize it. And here um, it goes in and talks about when to use scientific method um, as an extended task or a gated challenge. What's your take on you know, this box and what it enhances for the game? Uh, I think it just provides more advice and more ideas on how to use the scientific method. And especially if you're the science officer, like don't be afraid to, to have your character get into some like theoretical research and, and to be willing to work with your game master to create uh, this whole research project that could take multiple sessions to, or, or multiple episodes to work out over the course of a campaign, right? Like if you have a pet project or if you're trying to discover something critical, um, you know, be willing to jump into the scientific method, be willing to be wrong, because like that's the whole point of the scientific method, right? Is to ask questions, get feedback, ask more questions, get feedback, and then keep working your way toward a, uh, you know, to, toward a solution. So yeah, in gaming terms, I know we've started using after this came out. I reworked how I thought of the scientific method, and yeah. people are loving it on my group. But then I th thought, nice. well, have I seen this in action on TV shows? And yes, I came up with uh, a couple, like the discovery of the Bajoran wormhole. That scientific method of what really are the wormhole aliens was mm -hmm. seven seasons of action right there. <laughs> that it went, yeah. and then by the end you get some revelation on it, or Voyager trying to get home. But I see it a lot in Discovery. Discovery, you see them using the scientific method a lot as they go around the room as engineers and scientists talking about mm -hmm. the about the uh, um, network, the mushroom network, the mitochondrial network. Did mm -hmm. I pronounce that right? Um, and so you see it in action where they're not actually coming out with a result or building a weapon or something like that, but they're getting a better understanding of the sciences they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, treat it like that. And this book gives some great advice for scientists who want to uh, theorize all day. Mm -hmm. solutions. Yep. All right. Popular role now, flight controller, helm officer. Yeah. So, I mean, pretty much what it says on the box, right? You're the, you're the pilot. <laughs> and I don't mean to, I don't mean to sound negative. It's like the pilot is critical, right? If you're, if you're in a starship in space, someone's got to fly the thing and there is no shortage of things that you can, that, that lethal things that you could end up accidentally crashing into or getting sucked into or getting involved with. There's all kinds of anomalies and black holes and gravitational wells and i mean you know the list goes on right i mean we could we could come up with stuff all day long in right. techno babble much less real science and uh someone's got to do the the flying so whether you're you know the the best example well not the best example the first example that comes to mind of course is sulu um although i think i think more recent pilots have been more dynamic by virtue of the special effects i think detmer is yeah. probably my number two because like there was a revolving door of con officers on uh, next generation uh, DS9 everybody was a competent pilot so that wasn't that big of a deal um, and then Voyager course was Paris um, but I think Detmer just has had the opportunity to do more dynamic things on her show um, in including doing a donut right so doing a donut in a starship is like I mean, that was such a great line that Tilly delivered and then they executed it and the, and the special effects just look great so uh, and I want to say too, you know, if you really don't want a character who is least likely to be micromanaged, mm -hmm. it's this character. And the reason why is because when you're in a firefight, you can't turn around and look to the captain for directions every single <laughs> round. You really got to be like in ours, mm -hmm. our captain is like, get us out of here. That's the only order. And the person gets to really be independent and come up with creative solutions with the character. Mm -hmm. So this is, you know, like, like you see, uh, for lack of a better character when it comes to piloting hand solo you know these mm -hmm. people are literally flying on the seat of their pants and they're quick and uh, th there's a personality that seems to come with helm officers i notice which is mm -hmm. a little bit more uh, not averse to risk you know 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I just encourage people to know that, you know, the flight controller slash helms officer, it's not just about flying the ship, the starship, right? You also tend to be one of the best pilots on the ship, which means you probably get to pilot the shuttles when you're going on away teams or landing parties or something. So that immediately gives you an opportunity to get off the bridge and go to where the action is going. So that's one thing is, you know, don't don't be afraid to be the chief uh, to be the flight controller. Uh, the other thing is that the uh, the command source book goes into this a little bit more detail. The The flight controller type of character tends to be really well cross-trained. So you've probably got some engineering skills. You've probably got some science, especially like in um, uh, astro, astro uh, you know, navigation and astrometrics and, and like knowing where things are spatially compared to each other so that you can plot courses. And uh, and that'll just be make you a more rounded character. And I think uh, the conceit- There's also the propulsion. Yeah. They also have the, the core aerobics says they can, if they have, Con, you can use con instead of engineering for propulsion related tasks mm -hmm. too. Yeah. So they, if they, if the warp engine goes down, the engineer's not ready. That con officer can go back there and work a warp engine, which yeah. I thought was really cool using con because you know a, a pilot knows their ship, um, which mm -hmm. is really I thought that was really cool. Yep. All right, cool. Now let's talk ship's counselor, something that didn't come up till the next generation. Um, mm -hmm. This was a new introduced character. Um, I know why I like this character on my ship. Why do you, if you've played a counselor on your ship? I, I like it because it gives the it gives the it gives the command staff, especially the captain, uh, another set of perspectives to look at. Right now, of course, Troy was amazing because she was a Betazoid and a counselor, so that that was just a, a great one to bonus for the captain and the crew to give that extra amount of insight. But, uh, you know, a counselor, you, you're, you're just providing um, more information to your, you're able to gather more information from a different perspective because you're hitting the more of the, the soft skills, the psychology and the, and that kind of thing. And, and you're not looking at it so much tactically or, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. So I think it's, um, it's just, a, it's, and you're also not necessarily a doctor. You're not, you're not a, you're not a surgeon or a fix it man or a fix it woman or whatever you're, you're getting a different, mental kind of angle to things yeah and that goes to one of the subtitles here is respected advisor i know that i enjoy mm -hmm. seeing that our ship's counselor makes a safe space for people when they're in an uncomfortable situation to talk their feelings out and oftentimes mm -hmm. it's these cool conversations that the ship counselor is having one-on-one -on -one with the captain or other characters yeah that is helping the other characters bloom I said, I think we've talked about it before um, that if you really want to enhance your own role play, be interested in the other characters. Mm -hmm. And so the ship counselor will find a quiet, a lull in the action and be like, Hey, can I talk to you for a moment? Mm -hmm. What are you feeling right now? And they're the only character that can get people to let their guards down because of the trust that you get in a, in a counseling session. So yeah, yeah. to me, I've really enjoyed having a counselor on our ship because people walk out of that conversation with a different perspective almost every time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you know, Troy, of course, is, is the prime example. But if you're watching Discovery, I think uh, in the last, uh, I don't know, I guess last season or so, I think Culber has really come into his own. They've really written him as a, as a strong, strong counselor. And I think that's done his character a world of good. Uh, it's just given him so much more depth and more cool stuff to do. And like those conversations he has with the characters, I, those are like literally pulled right out of RPG episodes that I've run where the counselor or the doctor will have those those intense one-on-one -on -one conversations. Well, not necessarily intense, but like have these meaningful, personal one-on-one -on -one conversations, just like you were saying, to really get at the character. Like, what what are you struggling with? What are you doing well? What's happening? And you don't see that a lot in, in a lot of RPGs where it's not 
that it's not important what you're feeling. It's just, what are you doing, right? Yeah, <laughs> but with Star really Trek, amazing. it's just a whole different depth that you can bring to it. And the counselor counselor type can really help facilitate that. I think we may need to have us, we're going to have to film a whole other episode just about ship's counselors. And I'll have to pull from actual conversations that happened on our team just to talk yeah. about, because I think people may not choose this thinking it's boring, but it's mm -hmm. not, it's really not boring at all. Not to mention that the counselor oftentimes is a diplomatic aid to the captain. So if the mm -hmm. captain is doing a lot of negotiations or there is a first contact situation, mm -hmm. normally the counselor is there. So um, th that's another enhancement to the character. Mm -hmm. All right, next one. Let's go to communications officer, name drop. First one we all think of. Yura, of course. <laughs> best of the best. Yeah. Best of the best. Why, 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 why settle for anything less, right? Uh, yeah, so communica communication officer, especially in the original series, actually Enterprise, Enterprise and the original series, Hoshi was no uh, slouch either. Um, this is, you're, you're in charge of communications. Of course, you know, space being what it is, there's all kinds of... Uh, Radio frequencies, wavelengths, EM spectrum stuff that makes noise. And uh, of course, every species is not human. It has its own language and way of communicating. And you're on the front lines of trying to suss out what is it they're trying to communicate, right? So uh, I think... Um, I think the Kelvin versus the movies really expanded on her yeah. as a character and how good she is at what she does. She has a mm -hmm. superpower almost to it. And then we're going to see a lot of her in Star Trek uh, uh, Strange New Worlds. Yeah. You get to get a whole new depth to that character. Yeah. It's important to understand that in some ships um, and in some shows, there doesn't seem to be a communications officer because it's wrapped into another role. I know for an intrepid class ship like Star Trek Voyager, it seems that uh, operations handled communications many times. It went between them and tactical. So understand that you could still combine this into some of the other roles, making one mm -hmm. of your engineers or science officers a communication specialist also. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Or, or, you know, depending on what your crew composition is and what kind of game, you know, your group wants to play, maybe you're playing like a, a Xeno linguist or Xeno anthropologist or something. And like you're, like your ship is going to do this thing specifically, and you are the the person on the ship who's responsible for the code, not the code breaking, but like, you know, maybe you are on a season long mission to decode some ancient artifacty thingy, and uh, you're the you're the primary you're the point person, right? You're you're the one with the skills and the knowledge to. Yep. You're, you're probably a polyglot, right? So you know a lot of language. Anyway, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's not, none of these are boring. It's fun looking into this. And again, the choose this role if section on page 168 gives you a bunch of examples yeah. if you want to be a communications officer. Now, I think, I, I don't know why, but I have a feeling this is like your favorite new role that when we're about to talk, ship's cook. <laughs> you have so much pleasure since the Klingon book on this one. What is that? Uh, it was such a joy to put this in the in the Klingon, in the Klingon core rule book because like who, who would expect a ship's cook to be in there, but they're so important to the Klingons, right? Because fresh food is really important for the warrior uh, mentality, right? And so, of course, the ship's cook is a critical role on, on a Klingon ship, and maybe to a lesser extent, a Starfleet ship. Although I would, I would say, you know, Archer uh, talked about chef all the time, and I think, uh, you know, the, Neelix the, on Neelix on Voyager, Neelix on on Voyager, of course, yeah, because like I, I don't remember what general said it, but like an army moves on its stomach, right? So if you if you keep your people well fed and happy then they're going to be more productive and effective. And uh, so that's what the ship cook is all about. And uh, this is just provides some ideas on, uh, on playing it. It's, it's a not, it's not a typical character role, but there's just a ton of RP potential built into here. Uh, Cause especially I love the role ability, right? The, the fact that you can, you can help everybody be better by uh, um, you know, pro providing a good, a good meal. Well, just so you know, this chapter, 
um, inspired an entire episode for my game, which is hilarious, <laughs> where they actually had to gain respect from an alien culture by outcooking them. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> and it was really, I mean, the way that everyone mixed their attributes and disciplines yeah. and then I made them, you had to write up the flair. And if it impressed me, you got points. <laughs> it was a really, really good episode. Aaron Paulier uh, played, played a Tellarite. Uh, his character is a Tellarite science officer. His wife is Tellarite also, but she's also a fantastic cook. So she was asked by the captain to take the lead in the competition. And it was a beautifully written episode. Nice. Fantastic. Yeah, so good good inspiration. Again, this book has little tidbits yeah. that keep me going, keep all of our fans going. Mm -hmm. um, we want to give our thank yous um, as we wrap up this chapter. Um, next chapter is going to be about character creation options. That's going to be brilliant to talk about next week. Um, I want to do a shout out. I get a shout out and I have you close it out with your shout out. Um, I ask people to let me know their, their most loved brick and mortar shops around the planet. Um, the last time uh, we did this, we had as far as Japan. Now we have one as far as Germany. And so Jan Hendrik Kalush talks about Atlantisch Spiel in Hamburg, Germany as their favorite brick and mortar shop. So this is a shout out to them. Hopefully they get to see this. Everyone and give a deaf clap for um, Atlantis Spiel in Hamburg, Germany. So thank you again, all the fans of the show, of, of Star Trek Adventures and mm -hmm. uh, this show too. What about you, Jim? Oh man, there's so many people to thank. And I, I know we thanked a lot of people on this show. Uh, who do I want to thank this time? Um, I want to thank the uh, the social media team at, at Modifius, all the different people involved, uh, Sean, April, um, John, everybody else for, for keeping this, keeping the word out and uh, and getting the blog posts out and the social media posts and and getting twitter going our new discord server going this official forums all that stuff uh you'll see more from them in the in the coming months and years hopefully uh just uh you know trying to get that connection between the company and the fans and i think they're they're continuing to do a great job also our customer service people uh constantly on the front lines of getting people their stuff and trying to address problems and questions and where's my stuff, where's my orders, can I get a refund, please don't, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> whatever your problem is, you know, reach out to customer service because they're they're super helpful. So that, that's my shout out for the, for the people working hard. All right, then we'll see you next week when we talk about character creation options. Until then, IDIC. Live long and prosper. Hi. <laughs> right. You're getting the double guns tonight. <laughs> Be well, Michael. See you next time.